Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. The decision to apply fungicide each summer can be difficult to make. We know research has shown that the best chance at a return on investment occurs when disease pressure is present, but knowing if that is the case is going to require good scouting and in some years a little weather fortune telling. To make that decision even more complicated this year, the 2023 season has provided some unique challenges with the early season drought stress in many areas of Ohio. Here to help us learn more about what to consider when thinking about applying fungicide, we have Dr. Horacio Lopez-Nicora and Jason Hartshoe joining us. Could you guys each introduce yourselves? Horacio, could you go first? Yes. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Horacio Lopez-Nicora. I'm the soybean pathologist and nematologist from the Department of Plant Pathology at Ohio State University. Hi, everybody. I'm Jason Hartshoe. I'm a field specialist at Ohio State University Extension working in dairy management and precision livestock, uh, and also working in feeds and feed qualities for our livestock here in Ohio. To kick it off, I think we're going to just go back and forth here between corn and soybean. Um, and we'll, we'll start with corn on this first question. Jason, what are the most important considerations when you're talking about getting a positive ROI for a fungicide application? Yeah, uh, I think we're going to actually have some similar responses for this ROI question, because really, uh, the most important consideration to get a return on that investment is, do we have disease? Many of us don't have that crystal ball, but the really the first thing to do, um, besides looking at the extended war- weather forecast, before you go out and spray a fungicide, is go out and walk your fields and scout. Don that uh, long sleeve shirt and go, go through your cornfields and see once, if you see any disease present. Um, and then the next thing is choosing the right fungicide for the disease that you're trying to control. Uh, Foliar diseases versus ear rots require slightly different fungicides. Now there's some out on the market that can control both, especially uh, some of the newer products that have three different modes of action. Um, But some of the cheapest fungicides out there um, either can control ear rots or can control foliar diseases, but don't have very good efficacy for both at the same time. Horacio, do you have anything you wanna add? to consider yes. the soybean side? Yes, um, and, and pretty much everything that Jason says applies to, to soybean as well. Um, but I wanted to add a, a, an additional comment is when in the growth stage we are trying to manage pathogen. When will yield reduction take place if the pathogen is present and the disease occurs? So in soybean, for many of our uh, foliar pathogens, for example, we're always trying to protect that window between R3 and R5, uh, which through research, we know that, you know, if a foliar pathogen such as frog eye leaf spot um, is pretty severe and in that window between that R3 and R5, we know that we may suffer significant yield reduction and the use of a fungicide will definitely uh, protect and help us um, increase that that yield. So here in central Ohio, we have uh, corn that's around R1 and approaching R1, beans are R2 to R3. What diseases should be looking for right now? Well, I'll kick that off, I guess, on the corn side. Uh, In corn, we really need to start scouting and being concerned at that R1 growth stage, um, depending what disease we're looking at. Um, R3 is usually about the latest we look at putting on that fungicide. 
Uh, depending what that corn is going for, we also have to make sure we're watching that pre-harvest interval. Um, for my growers that are utilizing corn for silage, some of these products have up to a 30-day uh, pre-harvest interval on them. So if we apply them the 1st of August, um, we'll be looking at, at that R1 growth stage about that 1st of September, second week of September, uh, we're going to be harvesting that corn for silage. So that's something we definitely have to pay attention to. Um, but when we look at what all we should be scouting for, um, really, we have a big three that we can scout for right now and a fourth disease um, that at that R1 timeframe, we really just have to look at the weather aspects of things. So what are those diseases in corn? Um, gray leaf spots, the first one that comes to mind. We do have some confirmed reports across the northern part of Ohio of gray leaf spot being found in corn, not at really high pressures yet. Um, but definitely at levels that we need to continue to scout and consider those weather forecasts uh, and how things are going to change. And then the next one would be northern corn leaf blight. Um, we haven't found that yet, but weather conditions are starting to set up to be right. Um, tar spots, one that a lot of people are concerned about and wondering when are we going to see it showing up in Ohio this year? It's a disease that if it comes in late enough in the season, uh, it's not really a problem, but if it comes in early, um, it can definitely cause some yield impacts. And when we look at the tar spot map that shows where tar spot has been confirmed across the country, um, that northern part of Ohio is where we really need to be scouting hard. Not that we shouldn't be scouting the rest of the state uh, because it can jump sections where we find it, um, but there's a southern county in Michigan and then the southern part of Ontario, Canada have confirmed cases of tar spot. And that's not that far, um, especially with the northern winds that we've had uh, yesterday in the last few days that can move those spores around, that it could be bringing tar spot into Ohio very quickly. Uh, some other ones to think about, um, common rust, we have that about every year in some portion of Ohio, and we wanna scout for that, but it's not one that usually causes significant yield impacts. Um, of the rust, southern is more concerning, um, but we really haven't had the weather conditions and looking at the southern rust, it's not knocking on our southern border yet to be concerned about. The one that we really can't scout for that we are concerned about is that R1 timeframe is thinking about gibberella ear rot that causes uh, vomitoxin in corn um, that really produces that don that we have struggled with here in Ohio the last few years. Um, the challenge with gibberella ear rot is we can't go out and look at the leaves. We can't go out and pull those silks back and see the disease yet. Um, it takes it time after that infection for it to multiply and start to show up under the ear. And really once it shows up, it's too late. So that's one where we really have to consider more those weather conditions uh, when it comes to determining if a fungicide application may be beneficial. Yeah, and just a note on tar spot, we've seen it down here in Southern Ohio too, usually it's like you mentioned, Jason, coming in late enough that it doesn't impact yield. But if you're in a corn after corn situation, uh, definitely keep an eye out for that because it can overwinter and reinfest in the same field. So Horacio, what are we concerned about with soybeans? Yes. So similarly, like Jason was, was mentioning, um, for soybean and, and especially for, for foliar problems, um, or, or the ones that are not affecting the roots per se, the soilborne pathogen. Septoria brown spot is a common one that we normally find. 
And last year we saw more of it um, than I'm seeing this year. Conditions maybe are not favoring that disease to take place severe like, like, like last year. This one is a, a disease that normally does not cause much soybean yield reduction. And we manage it very, very nicely with varieties that have resistance. Normally, the lower leaves are the ones that show the symptoms first. They start becoming yellow and corrotic. You will see the, 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 the spots in the leaf. And then those same symptoms will be moving upward, the, the canopy. So it starts on the bottom. And then with rain splash, the spores will start you know, dispersing upward and sideways to infect healthy parts of the same plant or healthy plants in, in the neighboring uh, region. The other one is frog eye leaf spot that is caused by Cercospora sohina. And, and this one is one that can overwinter on, on residues of, of soybean, really damage uh, soybean in that window between R3 and R5, as we mentioned. So walking fields, R1, R2, getting close to R3, will definitely allow us to make a decision um, if we need to spray or not. Um, couple of considerations for frog eye leaf spot. One is that we normally used to find this disease in the southern part of, of Ohio. So mid to southern part of Ohio, um, the disease was prevalent. We will find it um, every year. Sometimes we will miss that window R3 to R5, but it will show up. Last year, in some of our fungicide plots that we had on the northern part of the state, we find um, those plots to have more severe damage due to frog eye leaf spot, which make us believe that not only that the debris that we have in our um, field is responsible for the onset of this disease, but also spores that may be flying in from uh, neighboring fields or states. The second thing to consider is that there has been report that some populations of these fungus have acquired resistance to some um, very useful fungicide that were previously used to manage these problems. For example, the strobid. And when we are dealing with this uh, pathogen, like um, Jason was mentioning, it's recommended when we select a fungicide to try to use one with multiple active ingredients. And this will help in case we have a population with resistance to some fungicides or some active ingredients of fungicide, that we can back up that using you know, a product with multiple active ingredients. And that will take care of that. So that's something to, to really keep in mind. Other things to consider this, uh, this season is to be in a lookout for other potential problems that are not common to Ohio, but they are present in neighboring states. For example, in, in the southern part of our state of Ohio, in Kentucky, for example, uh, target spots have been already reported and it's becoming more and more prevalent. And this is caused by Corinespora cassicola. Produces lesions in the plant surrounded by a yellow halo. Very, very distinct. It creates concentric rings within those uh, symptoms, those lesions. Um, another one that Illinois just reported recently is the red crown rot. Red crown rot caused by Calonectria illicicola. It's another one where we're going to 
start looking at our field and see individuals or group of plants dying. And we will go to the base of that plant and identify some of the structures of that fungus on, on the stem in the base of, of the plant. Very red in color symptoms. The other one that sometimes we do found in, in Ohio is Philosticta uh, sojicola, Philosticta leaf spot. Pretty similar symptoms to, to that herbicide damage that we sometimes produce when we use a PPO inhibitor. So something to keep in mind in the lesions of this disease um, or spots, we will see small dark uh, spots, little dots. It looks like pepper dots. And, and, and that's uh, Philosticta sojicola, something to also keep in mind when we're walking our fields and we see something that doesn't look healthy, but that we haven't seen before. So scouting and the disease being present is only one part of the picture. And you guys touched on this a little bit, but could you guys go into some of the conditions if you're scouting and you don't see disease, what some of those conditions are that we might begin to be concerned that disease could develop here over the next few weeks? Yeah, so each one of the corn diseases has slightly different um, weather conditions that really favor disease development and amount of wetness. Um, all of them require some amount of moisture. Now, there are a few diseases um, that are more ear rots that don't really require moisture that are hot and dry diseases, but those aren't ones we generally see here in Ohio and really isn't the type of conditions we're set up for at this point. Uh, so when we look at those corn diseases, gray leaf spot is going to be favored by warm temperatures, really in that 70 to 90 um, degrees and relatively high humidity. And then northern corn leaf blight, it also favors those wet conditions, high humidity, uh, but it's a little bit of a cooler disease, about 64 to 80 degrees. But if you look at those two, we do have that overlap uh, in temperatures. And if we think about Ohio weather, those two can both develop simultaneously. You know, the uh, gray leaf spot that likes it a little bit warmer is going to be that disease that develops during those hot, humid days. Um, where northern corn leaf blight, as we get into August, it's not uncommon for our nights to cool down uh, into the low 70s, upper 60s for its development. Um, tar spot, it's a little bit more of a cool weather disease than the other two. So tar spot, it's uh, temperatures that it prefers is in that 59 to 70 degrees um, with relative humidities up there in that 85%. And we need the plant to stay wet for about seven hours. Um, but really, when we think about some of these August nights we've already had and that we see uh, in the next 14 days um, on that weather forecast, we're going to be seeing some of that type of weather um, that could be drawing some concerns where we definitely want to keep monitoring and scouting those fields. Um, the other night we were down below 70 by about uh, nine o'clock at night. And if you walked out, your boots were kicking water off the grass. Well, it was the same thing in the cornfield. Um, so those wet conditions continue to drive those diseases. Um, common rust is another one uh, where it likes about six hours of leaf wetness. And it's a little bit warmer than tar spot because it likes that 61 to 77 degrees. So it's got a little bit um, bigger weather window. Um, and the, really the reason why we don't see southern rust moving into Ohio as much is it's a late season disease that really prefers it 
um, on the warm side. So it's like 77 to 88 degrees Fahrenheit where it is happiest to um, develop and thrive. And as we move later, we do have those high temperatures, but not for as long um, and not with the, the wetness and high temperatures that you would need for Southern rust. Um, Gibberella ear rot and stalk rot, um, it's a cooler season uh, disease. It really, you look at the 21 days after silking, um, and that's really when it begins to develop um, and take hold in that ear. And then later in the season, it can really multiply as what it really likes for conditions is cool and wet. Um, so those cool, wet conditions can drive that disease after silking. If we're hot and wet, um, gibberellia rot doesn't thrive quite as well. So those diseases, you know, there's a lot of overlap in those weather conditions, which is why we can see them, uh, all of them here in Ohio at different times and on the same plants. The only one we don't see uh, as much overlap in is that southern rust. Similar to soybean diseases, especially the, the, the two main foliar diseases that we, we commonly see in Ohio, septoria brown spot and frog eye leaf spot, um, they pretty much share the same uh, conditions to complete that disease triangle, right? That disease triangle always requires the presence of a virulent pathogen, a susceptible host, and a conducive environmental condition. And that conducive environmental condition for both of these pathogens to cause disease, if we have a susceptible host, is you know, warm and humid um, environment. And, and if we really look what happened in this season, and I was talking you know, previously that we haven't seen much of that septoria brown spot that we, that we saw last year. And, and, and that's because the fungus will stop developing or growing under dry conditions. And that's exactly what happened with, with, with septoria. But as soon as we start getting, again, the humid and, and, and warm conditions like we're seeing now, they can activate, again, the growth and start producing spores that this later will be dispersed and disseminate by wind and rain. Similar with, um, with Cercospora that causes uh, the frog eye leaf spot, we have these organisms surviving in residues and, and starting to disperse those spores with wind and, and water. And, and those warm and humid conditions will just favor the spores to germinate, infect the plants, and start causing uh, symptoms. Other things to consider that will fall in the outlier category, if we want to think that way. Um, and, and this is really where, where we need to know the history of our field. Um, what are the pathogens that we normally have seen present in the area where we are um, farming? And, and one of those is uh, white mold. White mold is a, a, it's a disease caused by a pathogen called Sclerotinia sclerotiorum that will release spores and it will be dispersed by, by wind and when conditions are uh, humid as well. When we have that closure of, of canopy and create that microenvironment. But the infection takes place at R1, at flowering. And, and, and it's really hard to predict when we will see um, this disease. And this is something that we're working um, um, right now in, in, in a bunch of our research projects to try to improve the uh, predictive tools that we have um, to be able to 
decide uh, on a fungicide application at that R1 stage. We notice and we know through research that with moderate resistant varieties and a timely application at around flowering, the management of um, white mold is, is um, somewhat successful. Also, we know that um, applying some cultural management, such as planting wider rows to allow more air to flow within that canopy and not create that micro weather, microclimate condition that will allow those spores to reach the flower and start infection also worked um, very well. Other than that, we have other things that we see late in the season. Sometimes you will encounter some leaves that have a bronzing color, and this is caused by Cercospora leaf blight. That's the name of the disease. It's a complex of different species. We have Cercospora kikuchi, uh, flagellaris, and others that may be causing that symptomology that we sometimes see. And in many cases at harvest, we can see a discoloration of seeds, turning the seeds purple in color. And that's also um, a fungus that can cause a purple stain. So Horacio, what about early season stress? Um, we've had some questions about hail and things like that. Um, can fungicides help uh, those soybeans come out of stressful situations? That's a great question, Amanda. Um, it's very important to understand that the active ingredients that these products have, the fungicides, are meant to either stop the development of the fungus that we're targeting to, to control. So it may have a fungistatic um, uh, mechanism, or it will actually kill those, those uh pathogen out there in the field. And, and that will be a fungicide um, mechanisms, if, if that makes sense. So when we use this product, we are either in targeting a specific pathogen that we want to stop the growth. So it, by doing so, we avoid the disease to take place, or we want to uh, kill those, those pathogens. And by doing so, um, then we avoid the disease to take place. So in, in, in no um, other way, we can see this product as a foliar fungicide that will bump uh, yield just because we apply to, to the plants. So one, one conversation that we always have in, in the field when we're scouting and we have a very low disease pressure is that we don't need to apply a fungicide that is meant to kill or stop growing a pathogen in a case where we don't have the presence of, of these organisms that, that, that will, will result in disease if we, if we did have them. Right. So recently, a question about, well, we had fields with very heavy damage of hail. Should we apply fungicide? The first answer that, that, that I can give to that question is no. But then, you know, stepping back a little bit and thinking why we may consider, I mean, physically damaging plants creates a wound. And if we do have, a, again, a high an elevated disease pressure in that field, we may think that those wounds can serve as entry points to these pathogens. We know that bacteria, for example, requires a wound 
to get inside the, the plant. And, and, it, and it comes back uh, to, to what we are, are talking uh, here. Do we have a high level of, of disease pressure? Are we seeing a lot of plants showing symptoms to make that decision? Additionally, fungicides normally are applied on the leaves of the plants and they should um, be retained on those leaves to have some effect on, on the target. One thing that we, we notice in, in, in one of our um, fields that we, that we collaborate in, in doing research with uh, Dr. Lara Lindsay, this is in Preble County, that a hailstorm caused more than 90% damage to, to those plants, 90% defoliation. So what are we going to apply fungicide to? That was the other question, right? So that's where we're standing. That's the logic behind the recommendation on on should I apply a fungicide after uh, a hailstorm? It goes back to do do you have you seen uh, a elevated a high disease pressure in that field? And um, if the answer is no, then we recommend not putting more cost into that operation. Yeah, that's a really great point, Rocio, especially about having the leaf area there to absorb that product. And um, if it's not going to make a huge yield difference, um, why put more money into that? Well, thank you both for your time today. Uh, we hope everyone um, got something out of this as you begin to make your fungicide applications. And if you have any questions or want to learn more from uh, these experts, how can they reach you guys? The best way to reach me is through email, which is heartshoe.11 at osu.edu. Um, you can also find more information or find us um, on the Egg Crops Team website uh, or uh, for me, our dairy working group website, which is dairy.osu.edu. Same for me, reaching via email or a phone call works perfectly well. My my email is lopez-nicora.1 at osu.edu. We run the soybean pathology lab in Cotman Hall. That is in 2021 Coffee Road, Columbus, Ohio. We have a lab where we receive samples and we can work with you to help you get the accurate diagnosis of what you may be seeing in your field. So strongly recommend that if you are struggling with some of these soybean disease that you haven't seen before, or it doesn't look quite like the ones you're used to scouting, uh, reach out and, and we will definitely help with any type of diagnosis. Yeah, that's a great reminder, Horacio. So if you're having issues, reach out to Horacio, Jason, your county educator, and we can see about getting samples to the lab, whether it's corn or soybeans and having those confirmed. It's a really nice opportunity for you to connect with our specialists and for them to keep in touch with what's going on around the state. So thank you guys again for your time. We'll look for you at some field days here in the next month. Thanks, Amanda and Elizabeth, for having us on. Thank you, Amanda and Elizabeth. And again, please reach out if you need to. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. 
Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.